On today's episode of the Nerd by Word podcast, we're receiving visits from Force Ghosts of Holidays Past, Present, and Future. Yes, we're looking at the Star Wars Holiday Special. So get your tip yip and your blue milk ready, because we're making the jump to hyperspace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back in to a very special festive episode of the Nerd Byword. Um, in the spirit of the holiday season, we are visiting the Force Ghosts of holidays past, present, and future. So we uh, looked at the Force Ghosts of the past uh, in the original 1978 Star Wars holiday special. Um, and then we looked at the brand new Lego Star Wars holiday special that was just released this year. Um, and then we're going to be looking at the force ghosts of the holiday future in the direction of Star Wars moving forward uh, and other things that are to come. Uh, but first, we've got to hit it with some nerd news. Dave, what do you have for us? Well, I want to talk a little bit about Turtle Rock Studios showing off gameplay for their new game Back for Blood. So the, the Video Game Awards recently took place, which also featured several announcements and gameplay reveals. Uh, a new Perfect Dark and a new Mass Effect were announced, which is really exciting. But by far the most exciting thing for me was the gameplay reveal of Back for Blood. See, in 2008, Valve released the Turtle Rock Studio-developed Left 4 Dead, uh, with the number 4 in the title instead of F-O-R, and there's a good reason for that. The game was a cooperative zombie shooter featuring up to four players working cooperatively through a series of mini-campaigns to survive AI-controlled zombies. The game and its 2009 sequel stand as some of my all-time favorite video games. My wife and I spent countless hours playing these games in couch co-op. The games featured uh, a fun, tongue-in-cheek uh, vibe, funny dialogue, interesting scenarios, and inventive zombie variations. The coolest thing about it was uh, something called The Director, uh, an artificial intelligence that controlled the game and featured what they called at the time a dynamic system for game dramatics, pacing, and difficulty. Basically, instead of having enemies spawn at set points in the campaign, enemies popped up in varying positions and numbers based completely on the player situation, the player status, the player skill, and even the player's location. So each playthrough was completely unique. This game was designed to be played over and over again and to never get old. Well, Valve hardly ever releases games anymore. Uh, focused instead on running their PC gaming distribution network, Steam. Uh, they've held on to the intellectual property, the brand of Left 4 Dead, pretty tightly, and have since parted ways with Turtle Rock Studios, so it, it's felt to fans of the series like there's never going to be another Left 4 Dead game. Well, here we are. Turtle Rock is back with a spiritual successor for Left 4 Dead called Back for Blood, once again the number 4, replacing F-O-R. And the gameplay trailer shown at the Game Awards made all of my dreams come true. It looks basically like a next-gen version of Left 4 Dead. And it's been so long since I've delved into cooperative zombie shooter 
games. And, and this looks to be a pitch-perfect follow-up, a way for me to get back into those kinds of games. The only thing I'm still waiting to hear that has not been confirmed is whether the game will include couch co-op again. And if it does, I can guarantee my wife and I will make some time to return to the zombie apocalypse once again. I am seriously psyched about this one. Oh man, my my nostalgic funny bone has been very very tickled by this news. Um I I I so reverently remember uh my college years with these games. Um and and this is like one of the bonding experiences with my core group of friends uh was playing this game on on couch co-op and you know spending all night between between playing this and you know the rock band franchise where you know we toured the world with our own rock band like this was my college experience was was playing these games so i'm very very excited and uh i echo your sentiments completely i hope i I, i'm dying for a couch co-op game that i can you know play with my friends or even play with my kids um the the online multiplayer is very very hit or miss um sometimes you can get in a good lobby but a lot of the times, more often than not, it's a very, very unfortunate experience that has been well documented on this podcast. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that they will stay true to that spirit and just at least offer an option. I mean, like um, Star Wars Battlefront, for example, um, that was another one of my favorite co-op games. Um, and now the only one, the only mode that you can play that in is arcade. And it's, you know, very, very disappointing. So here's hoping. Yeah, and you know, uh, we hear a lot about the notion that these next-gen games uh, don't lend themselves to couch co-op because of uh, the graphical fidelity, that it would be just too much uh, on the system to try to run a split-screen scenario. To that, I say, I'd rather have less graphical fidelity and additional gameplay options. Uh, Graphics does not equal fun. And so if I have to have a slight downgrade in graphics and for that have couch co-op, Sign me up. I'm there for that. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, like graphics, you know, I, I I find it hard to believe. I'm 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 by no means an expert. I find it hard to believe when we're coming out with next gen consoles that are you know like ticking off all of these performance you know specs that they can't handle a couch co-op thing i find it very very hard to believe and if that is indeed the case and if i'm wrong about that then okay downgrade the graphics and you know just let me do some co-op and offer is it as an option like if you want to advance graphics go play online multiplayer or go play the you know solo campaign i'll gladly do that um but then you know even make it a disclaimer you know you're playing couch co-op you uh, you willingly agree that you're going to sacrifice graphic quality yep i'm good well i mean to a certain extent this is already happening if you're looking at next-gen consoles you know the difference between the xbox series s and the series x for example they are already scaling um the experience of various games to variously powered consoles i can't believe that they can't do something similar for couch co-op now chris what are you bringing to the nerd news table this week? Well, I'm bringing something substantial. Um, the Disney Investors Day uh, revealed quite a bit uh, between the Disney uh, animation films for the Pixar animation films down to the 
the the ones that the nerds were waiting for with Lucasfilm reveals and the MCU reveals. So there was so much revealed that we are going to take our very next episode and do what we did with the DC fandom and just go line by line, you know, list by list, item by item, what we're excited about, our reactions to it. But I figured we would at least have to broach this subject. So Dave, what was your favorite reveal from Disney Investors Day. So this is going to be uh, completely out of the left field, especially considering that people probably think I want to talk Star Wars or MCU. As for what I'm most excited about, Chippendale Rescue Rangers for, uh, is returning uh, in a new a live action and a CGI combined movie uh, starring John Mulaney and Andy Samberg. You know, Rescue Rangers was pretty special to me as a kid. I loved the series about a group of rodents trying to help others in need and getting into cool adventures. It was basically like uh, the A-Team for kids. Uh, the casting here is smart, too. I've been a fan of Mulaney's for a long time. And although I used to be more skeptical of Andy Samberg, uh, he totally won me over in the television series Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I think is really one of the funniest things on TV right now. So, you know, to me, one of the most exciting announcements was basically that Chippendale Rescue Rangers is coming back. I I I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, that's pitch perfect casting. Um, I I echo your sentiments. Mulaney is is one of my absolute top notch. It's one of my biggest nerd things. That's not you know kind of outer rim nerdery, if you will. I love stand up comedy. I will listen to stand up specials when I'm commuting. Um, or, you know, when I'm working out or when I'm, uh, you know, doing yard, yard work, I, I listen to stand up all the time and Mulaney's right, like almost on my Mount Rushmore, uh, of stand up comedians. If, if we're talking current people. And then I absolutely agree with what you said about Sandberg. Some of his SNL stuff was funny, but it was hit or miss for me. Um, lonely, his lonely Island stuff was pretty good. But when, when, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine came on. I, I mean, I was hooked from the word go. So to see this this come into play and and for this project to be really uh, to be revealed, I'm, I'm super super excited for. If I have to say one thing that I'm excited about the most, and again, we're gonna have we're gonna give this uh, this news story it's it's full uh, undivided attention in our next episode. But the one that I am I screamed like a little girl when I watched it live was when it was confirmed that Christian Bale Academy Award winner, former Batman Christian Bale is going to play, be playing Gore, the God butcher in Thor love and thunder. I don't know how that's going to work um, with, with Jane Foster returning uh, to wield the hammer and Gore, the God butcher. I don't know how it's going to work all the storylines, but if you're a fan of the Jason Aaron Thor run, you got to be absolutely geeked out. Probably one of the best villains that has premiered in the last 20 to 25 years in comics. It's just absolutely psyched about this. I will say uh, that I echo your sentiment about Christian Bale's casting here. Uh, I just started reading uh, Aaron's Thor run on your suggestion. I'm about seven or eight issues in and I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, the character is super interesting. I can I can totally see Bale do an excellent job with the intensity and the malice that this character showed in the comics. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm all there for for Bale as Gore. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. All right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. And again, I promise we're going to do that due diligence with uh, the Disney Investor Day reveals on our next episode. But we have a lot to cover as well for our Byward Big Talk. So stick around. 
All right, welcome back to the Nerd Byword. And for our Byword Big Talk today, we wanted to get special. And so we visited the Force Ghosts of holidays past, present, and future. And the first stop on that train, yes, we watched it. I watched it for the first time, guys. So, so, so many of you listeners have probably seen this before, and it's a meme-worthy joke, or, or you've been joking about it for, for years and decades. But I watched this for the first time in preparation for this pod. But we revisited the 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, Dave, in revisiting this, what were your what's your initial reaction? Yeah, and you know this thing is legendary. I can't even with this thing. The, the Star Wars Holiday Special is so so terrible, but I really feel at the same time like every Star Wars fan owes it to themselves to watch it at least once. I think it, watching it right before watching uh, Empire Strikes Back makes it abundantly clear that this all could have gone so very, very <laughs> wrong. I mean, where do we even start with this thing? So the special is uh, basically about Han and Chewbacca trying to make it to the Wookiee homeworld of Kashyyyk so they can celebrate this made-up holiday called Life Day with Chewbacca's family. Now, Life Day is never really explained. What is it? What are they celebrating? Whose life? I, I have no idea. But... Uh, this thing is basically paced and shot to feel like a 1970s TV variety show. show. And so it features performances from various acts, including freaking Jefferson Starship. I'm not even sure how to summarize how bizarre this thing is. No matter how often I watch it, it still gets me. I mean, even George Lucas wants to wipe this thing from existence. And he has said so repeatedly in interviews. So what I did when I rewatched it is I just kind of bullet pointed some things that stood out to me sort of in in order of appearance so i'm just going to go ahead and hit some of the high points where i started questioning my sanity so the notion of having wookies first of all on screen for a good solid 10 minutes talking to other wookies without subtitles was absolutely bizarre it was so very difficult to figure out what was even going on and while i'm at it itchy and lumpy are not good wookie names chewy was a cute nickname but you don't have to go with Itchy and Lumpy for his family members. B. Arthur of Golden Girls, secondly, uh, actually shows up as a Moss Eisley Cantina bartender and has a musical number uh, after, mind you, getting hit on repeatedly by a customer. This most certainly is when the drugs kicked in in the writer's room, I assume. And I, I, you know what? H- Harvey Corman's cooking show segment blew my mind. I don't even know what, what was going on there. Harvey Corman is not, you know a not funny guy if you look back but but stir whip stir whip 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 stir is not what i needed out of star wars this thing went on forever but you know at least now we know how to prepare bantha properly um chewbacca's dad gets seduced by uh diane carroll in an erotic hologram performance i kid you not um i don't know what to say to that you know, I also understand Mark Hamill, who obviously appears, uh, had been famously in an accident after the original Star Wars, and his uh, his face looked a little different. But did they really need to go full clown level makeup on him? I mean, the foundation on his face is so thick all over his all over his face, he's almost unrecognizable. And then there's the heavy eyeliner, which, dude, I don't even know. But the highlight. 
the coup de grace for this whole special in my book is by far the moment when Carrie freaking Fisher, clearly high at this point, sings a so-called Life Day song to the tune of the Star Wars theme. Mother of God. I'm done. Yeah, so this was... um... This was quite an odd thing to watch um, first thing at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> it definitely woke me up to, to say the least. Yeah. So I echo everything that you said. Um, uh, first and foremost, um, I while I was a little bit overwhelmed by not understanding any of the dialogue for the first 10 minutes, it definitely did feel like some of my family holiday gatherings, um, listening to the Wookiees talk back and forth. I could definitely relate with that. Sounds like a lot of my, you know, family gatherings. Um, yeah. Itchy and lumpy are like, like what the hell? What, what is that? Like, like Mala, Mala, his wife is a pretty good name. Uh, but itchy and lumpy, like they just completely gave up there. Um, like they do know that Chewie is a nickname, right? Chewbacca is his full name. Like that's a nickname. That's not like his given name. Um, not very convincing. Also, like who would have thought? It's also not a very good look that Chewbacca is like this deadbeat dad. Like to begin with, um, that like his wife is just like trying to hold down the fort with his dad and son. Like that's an odd look as he's like smuggling his way through the galaxy. Um, and then um, I can totally relate to um, Itchy's ultimate fantasy being seduced and serenaded by a black woman. Um, so, like, I, I totally get what you're saying there, Itchy. Um, uh, but that was still a little bit weird to watch. Um, B. Arthur, like, God bless her. She's my favorite golden girl. But that was completely just out of this world pun intended like that it was so 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 weird um it was just all a mess like and for me like the one that seemed the most out of place was um art carney as trader son ban like he was just like this carnival barker that was like trying to hawk a bunch of stuff but then like was a friend of the family um but was still like this sketchy character and it just felt so out of place in the star Wars universe. Um, it, it felt like just like somebody from a different movie in a different film. They just threw star Wars clothing on him um, and didn't button his shirt enough. And, and it was just all a mess. And then for, for absolutely no reason, everybody like the, the empire just had these nonstop broadcasts um, featuring Jefferson starship and, um emergency curfews and and all of this stuff is just a weird hodgepodge mess that had no coherence whatsoever yeah and you know I, i'm sitting here thinking i want to say that um the expanded universe which of course um disney killed a long time ago now uh, I want to say actually made some sense out of the uh, the, the Wookiee names. I want to say that Lumpy's name was something like Lumpanawaru or something like that. And Lumpy is a nickname just like Chewie is. But uh, I think that seems to be more like the Expanded Universe writers trying to fix a problem caused by this very, very odd holiday special. Yeah, the, the end effect is that this is just like some kind of drug-induced fever dream. Like I, I usually, when I watch this, I'm not 100% sure if I'm sober or not, 
Um, it, it's it's absolutely uh, incoherent, bizarre. Um, but yeah, I just every time I see Carrie Fisher singing at the end, I just, I mean, bless her, she was amazing, but she was not an amazing singer. <laughs> that, that that was some rough stuff, man. Well, uh, t- two other things that slipped my mind off first, like. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first appearance of Boba Fett, right? Yes, in the in the little animated segment, is, and which had featured some absolutely weird animation and you know characterization. Like I, I'm glad that um, you know Boba Fett has come a long way with his characterization and whatnot because it was a weird, weird, weird story to to be introduced on. That's a that's an odd origin story, uh, about as weird as it gets. But I think for me, for you, it's Carrie Fisher singing. For me, the most traumatizing thing is Lumpy's face, especially when they zoom in on his face and those unmistakably human teeth um, and eyes. Like, it, it's really just, it's nightmare-inducing for me. You can tell, qualitatively speaking, that Chewbacca's suit was painstakingly crafted, whereas the other Wookiee suits were painfully crafted. <laughs> it, it reminds me of that scene from... Uh, the end of Step Brothers, where they get Chewbacca mask, and he just yells out, it's okay that mine's not cinema quality. I'm going to tell you actually what it reminds me of. It reminds me of uh, here uh, recently when they started putting up the old um, Ninja Turtle animatronics uh, from the original Ninja Turtle movies, and they're like half rotten away and the teeth are showing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like the, su- the Wookiee suits in this movie are like the Ninja Turtle animatronics after 30 years. Oh, gosh. All right. Any final thoughts on this one, Dave? Pain. Pain <laughs> is all I've, I experience when I watch this. But, you know, but you, I will say this. Now I'm going to be completely serious. It's very easy to rag on this thing. But at the same time, it, it's such a wonderful time capsule. It's very much sort of a what if. You know, what, what could Star Wars have turned into if not for Empire Strikes Back? Um you know, I, I very much remember um, the the book uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, uh, or, well, that's what it's called now. I think it was originally called the, from the, uh, the New Adventures of Luke Skywalker or something like that. But the original uh, novelization sequel that they put out, just in case, you know, the, the movie wouldn't be a big hit, which is just another thing like this holiday special. It's just this, this alternate timeline almost. This is what could have happened to Star Wars. And, you know, in the end, as much fun as that book is and as bizarre as this holiday special is, I think Star Wars fans should experience those and then realize how very grateful we should be that we got Empire Strikes Back, which, to me at least, is still the best Star Wars movie by far. Um, So it it could have sunk to incredible lows, but instead Star Wars rose to incredible highs. And that's absolutely a, a positive message to take away from this holiday special. Well, and you hit hit on something that that made me really think when you said time capsule, and and so a couple of things. Um, it's really really interesting um, when you look at this. Came out the exact same year that Star Wars: A New Hope was released in 1978. So this was like right on the heels of that. So um, it's really really interesting, um, and it's very much a product of its time. Like I feel like I'm in 1978. Like I feel like. Um, I'm at a discotheque and somebody slipped something into my drink watching this. So that's a very, very interesting thing to, to bring into context as well. Um, 
And also, it um, much has been said about the quality of Star Wars productions, the more and or less that George Lucas is involved. So I know with, um, you know, him stepping away from the director's chair in, in Empire Strikes Back, you know, really, you know, is is an argument for for the camp of, you know, less Lucas is better quality. Um, you know, and then you look at the prequels where those were his baby. And, uh, you know, we've said that time and again on this show as well. And, and guests have also. So it's just a really interesting thing. Like you said, how this could have gone completely differently. And from my understanding, just looking back uh, at some of the background information on, on this holiday special, Lucas wasn't involved at all uh, and initially was against the notion and had to kind of be talked into it. Um, so Lucas's name does not appear anywhere in the credits, if, as far as I remember, for the Star Wars holiday special. So uh, on the one hand, you know, Empire Strikes Back had a little less Lucas, which may have been to its advantage, but the holiday special had no Lucas, which may have been to its disadvantage. Lucas is like a, a secret ingredient in, in cooking. You need to know exactly how much of it you need to make something special, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's like too much salt, and, you know, you have a bitter aftertaste. Yeah. All right, we are transitioning from ghost, force ghosts of holidays past to something that just came out within the last month, um, the Force Ghost of Holidays Present, which is the Lego Star Wars holiday special, which really caught my eye, you know, with the Lego all caps, you know, moniker attached to it. Um, I was skeptical at first going in, but um, I, I, I truly, truly enjoyed this. Dave, how did you feel about this? Yeah, this special gave me life. This is the real life day right here. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, it did so many nice things with the cast of the sequel trilogy. You know, Rey is a Jedi and she's trying to train Finn in the ways of the Force. She doesn't think she's doing a good job, so she seeks out a way to learn from masters in the past. Cue time travel shenanigans and visits to past Star Wars eras. Look, it has a jokey attitude and lots of visual gags. It's a Lego Star Wars special after all. But there's stuff in here that totally should be canon. Finn, for example, being Force-sensitive. Why could we not find 30 seconds to acknowledge that in the actual trilogy? I will never understand that. You know, Ray's crisis of conscience as a teacher makes her feel like a much more rounded character. It seemed in the feature films like everything Force-related came fairly easily to Ray. He or she struggles, she learns, she overcomes. That's literally what character growth, having a character arc, is all about. I would argue that that Rey has more of an arc in the Lego Star Wars holiday special than she does over the course of the sequel trilogy. I, I love the various interactions she had with uh, those from the past, particularly Star Wars era Luke and Return of the Jedi era Luke. Her time with Luke was so brief, but they had real chemistry as master and apprentice. And so seeing them together again was really nice, too. Uh, this is a very interesting relationship. I wish they would have spent more time actually exploring. But the jokes, man, are so knowing and so smart. Three versions of Obi-Wan Kenobi saying hello there to each other. <laughs> Vader fighting Vader. But, you know, the one that actually made me laugh the, out loud the most was at one point, all these, you know, fr uh, extended friends... Uh, come in 
uh, to uh, the, the spaceship to have a little the little life day celebration. And there's a Rodian there, and he yells McClunky as he walks in. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I cannot, you know, McClunky for the for those that don't know is uh, something that Greedo yells in the newest edit of uh, the um, original Star Wars movie. Uh, right before he tries to shoot Han Solo in Mos Eisley Cantina, and everybody's wondering what in the world McClunky is. And here's this Rodia just walking into the ship and yelling McClunky in the background. It's just so smart and so knowing. The, the people who put this together clearly love Star Wars and, and know it intimately and, and understand its warts and flaws as much as anybody and don't mind poking some lighthearted fun at that. So yeah, this was great. It was coherent as a story for one, which is more than we can say about the original Star Wars Holiday Special. But it was also funny, fun, lighthearted, and had a nice Star Wars touch. It also features some of my favorite Ray and Finn moments. My only real problem with this uh, is on Twitter I saw that Mark Hamill was never even asked if he'd be interested in voicing Luke Skywalker for this thing. To which I say, heresy! Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, is a voice actor extraordinaire. At the very least, you should ask the guy. Maybe his fee would have not been as high as you think, and we could have had actual Luke Skywalker voicing Luke Skywalker at various stages of his life. That would have been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so right from the get-go, when we hear Yoda's voice, it does what the entire original holiday special never thought to do which was explain what life day was and the meaning of it like right there from the jump i was like okay i immediately like this better you know this made me think of how much i love like um the first lego movie i haven't seen the sequel and lego batman they're just fun like they are unabashedly unashamedly just fun they take those characters and they just have a great time and it's like you're playing with action figures you're playing with legos themselves i i think that the writing on this special was top notch like i'll have to look up uh you know who's credited as the writer or writers but i mean like it's absolutely just brilliant the jokes the self-referential jokes, the the self-you know incriminating jokes of Star Wars. It reminds me of when I nerd commended Star Trek Lower Decks a couple of weeks ago, and you said um, your your reaction was, I wish we had something like this in Star Wars. And this was basically that, you know, now is, a, you know, a, it's a, you know, family friendly PGG rated, you know, Y7, I think was the actual rating for this. Um, so, you know, it, you know, also reminded me a lot of the Robot Chicken Star Wars special, which you know, resides in the absolute epicenter of my heart. Robot Chicken Star Wars is one of the greatest things in the Star Wars universe. Um, But it was just like uh, a version of that for kids that was family friendly. It was so much fun. The the Obi-Wans saying hello there to each other was just like top notch. Like it was so brilliant. The Vader versus Vader showdown, impressive, most impressive, was great. Um, Like... The other one that if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. I rewound it to make sure that I caught it was two Han Solos next to each other. Um, the Alden Ehrenreich Han Solo and then the older Harrison Ford Han Solo saying, uh, do you want to shoot first? Uh, let's do it at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's just it's 
it's a masterclass and I feel like it's a love letter to every era of Star Wars. So as as traumatizing as the original was to watch that early in the morning, immediately following it up like this it was a beautiful bookend. It did everything that that the original should have done, um, but it just had fun with it. And and um, also, you know, to your point, it's it's a it's so much about what the sequel trilogy should have been like all of the potential that was there, um, you know, and the disservice that it did to its characters. And I, I, I'm still frustrated by the fact that such a talented group of actors was so hilariously misused um, like John Boyega and, and uh, Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac, who's literally being cast in everything. Now he's moon Knight. He's, snake from metal gear solid like the dude is doing the darn thing right now and and star wars couldn't figure out what to do with him except for i i loved his arc in the last jedi love that that was one of the 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 strongest parts of it um but then also it was also including um it was a love letter to um the animated series with matt lanter coming back and and a lot of the voice actors from the clone wars uh you know series that i just i just love so much um so i i'm just super excited about this oh another blink and you'll miss it moment um it did have some some uh mandalorian content that was just pitch perfect and and so if you're a star wars fan and you've been a little bit downtrodden about you know the, the films at least that have been recently released definitely check this one out watch it with your kids and and i absolutely loved it you know now that i'm thinking about this and i really i really 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 love this special but you know in the beginning of the movie when when ray is traveling to all these different points and looking at master and apprentice interactions did i miss um her checking out anakin skywalker training ahsoka tano was that not in there that was not there See that 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 to me is one one big oversight. It kind of didn't it it didn't quite acknowledge the Clone Wars cartoon, and I think that would have been that would have been a nice extra thing to throw in there um, to to humanize the Anakin character because I think that relationship, that master apprentice relationship, is super important in Star Wars canon, and just even even a thirty second you know blink and you miss it kind of thing, uh, I think would have been a really nice addition here. I anytime that I get Ahsoka Tano content. I am a happy, happy person. Um, you know, that's, you know, that, that's a, a heavy hint towards um, our next episode. But um, I also, you reminded me of one of my other favorite jokes that I had forgotten. And that was when, when they initially go to Obi-Wan and Anakin going up in that turbo lift. I'm sorry. I've been watching Star Trek. I'm going to call it a turbo lift. Um, and, and he goes, and he goes, it's just something to the effect of, we'll see Padme soon. And then all of a sudden you see Anakin, like, take this bushel of flowers and hide it behind his back, like, because they were going to go see Padme. <laughs> so perfect. And the worst kept, the worst kept secret romance in Star Wars history. Absolutely. Secret? Wait a minute. That was supposed to be a secret? <laughs> Holy crap, dude. That's a whole plot point I missed. <laughs> Yeah, any other final thoughts on the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, Dave? Yeah, I tell you, if we would have not done this episode, I'd be nerd commending it. I had I had an absolute blast. It's a good uh, 40 some minutes long and it's absolutely worth every second. Uh, I'll probably be rewatching it just because some of the jokes came so fast. It's just such a good time. Um, 
And if you love Star Wars, this is this is the kind of content you'll enjoy. Uh, it just it has such a, a love for Star Wars, warts and all. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely rewatching this several times. Um, one of the only critiques that I have is I wish it was longer. It was just beautiful. Um, also, it has blue milk. Like it has a lot of blue milk. So um, I, I just I just loved it. I'm always there for some blue milk. Always there for some blue milk. Um, and I'm definitely watching this with the kids probably several times over, over holiday break. So I'm, I'm super excited to revisit it. And it's something that's probably going to be on re- repeat in my household. Um, now we transition to, uh, again, we don't want to uh, spoil too much of our next episode, but we did get some, some direct hints at uh, the Force Ghost of Holiday's future. Dave, um, with the direction that Star Wars is heading um, and another universe doing a, a holiday special. So I have, when it comes to the future of Star Wars, there's really two things that I wanted to briefly mention, although I think we're going to talk about it a lot more next week. The first is is Patty freaking Jenkins directing a Rogue Squadron movie. How freaking, how freaking awesome was that reveal trailer? That I cried. I literally cried. So I ha- I have a pretty long history with with Rogue Squadron, uh, you know, reading you know Star Wars comic books where Rogue Squadron uh, featured prominently, and then Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston's X Wing books, beginning with Star Wars X Wing Rogue Squadron, that were some of my absolutely favorite expanded universe books. Wiped out all of them by Disney's Order sixty six on the expanded universe, of course. Um, and Patty Jenkins directing a Rogue Squadron movie is it's just so exciting. I just wished, although it is unlikely, that she will take some of the characters from those books and bring them into the new canon. Seeing uh, Cornhorn or Mirax Tarek would be awesome. There's just so many really great characters that came and went through those Rogue Squadron books. Man, even just seeing a few of them would, would absolutely make my day. And the other thing that really stuck out to me about the future of Star Wars is Hayden Christensen returning for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series as Darth Vader, which is all a win in my book, because I never blamed him for the weird Anakin Skywalker moments. I, I think ultimately that was down to clunky writing. George, I love you. You made Star Wars, but you also made Oscar-winning actors look like amateurs. I don't think Hayden ever stood a chance. So ultimately, uh, I'm starting to think, really... As, as exciting as the Rogue Squadron news is, that most of the Disney era Star Wars news seems to be focused pretty squarely on Disney Plus and television projects. And I think that is a good thing, actually. You know, The Mandalorian is awesome and I think has proven that long-form storytelling is a really good thing for Star Wars. The secret tr- uh, sequel trilogy, you know, I have complex feelings about it. And eventually, I think we're going to have to do our, you know, fixing of the sequel trilogy episodes but a television slate is a whole different animal. It allows the characters to breathe, allows them time to develop. I think we can all agree, whether we liked the movie or not, Rise of Skywalker was rushed. There were so many things glossed over. Um, and so having room to breathe in your story, for, to, for the characters to grow, to develop, to go through things, to have experiences and, and, and learn through them, that's something that's desperately needed in Star Wars. And so I'm, I'm starting to think the, the, the ghost uh, of holiday future for Star Wars is going to be very much focused on Disney Plus 
I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, as as we, you know, visited in our last episode when when I compared, you know, the difference of of why I'm starting to lean Star Trek over Star Wars is because you have that development um from episode to episode to season to season with the crew and you get to watch these characters bond um and and you get to see actual real character growth that you just can't have in an hour and a half to 2 hour film. Um it, it, it is i i was absolutely just emotionally shaken and disturbed at how poor and thrown together and thoughtlessly just th- tossed onto a screen the rise of skywalker was it was a last ditch effort to do so many things including apologize for the last jedi for the fans that who you know vehemently hated it and return everything to the quote-unquote status quo and the more that i am looking at jj abrams created content the the more i dislike it um he and his son are co-writing a spider-man comic right now and it is one of the strangest things and one of the just the oddest things that I've ever read in comic books. And, and with the exception of the Calvin Trek universe that I, I truly enjoy, but that again is mostly based on the chemistry from the, the actors on screen, not so much um, the, the creative team behind it. So I definitely and wholeheartedly agree with, with a necessary, fixing of the sequel trilogy as much as i love and ride for the last jedi i am one of its one of its proudest defenders but it has glaring issues and when you love something um you fix it um as and when you love star wars like we love star wars you want to fix it so that's definitely a force ghost of the future for for our future um, on the nerd byword that is is sure to come, but as far as Star Wars and and the future, the fo- uh, Force Ghost of the future, I hinted at it before, and I'm you know diving deep next episode. But Ahsoka Tano, Dave, has her own freaking show. Like spoiler alert, if you're not caught up on the Mandalorian, but Rosario Dawson breathing life into my absolute favorite character from Star Wars. I was emotional the entire episode. It was pitch perfect. It was beautifully done. Um, there's so much other stuff that's going on in the Mandalorian with, with John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni at the helm that I am so overwhelmingly excited for. It makes me forget about all the things that I just ranted about. None of that matters because I am excited and I'm hopeful for the future. All the other series that were revealed have me excited. There's a lot of characters that I have never been exposed to. Rogue Squadron is something completely new to me. So I'm excited to dive into that universe. Um, the Bad Batch trailer looked really, really cool. Um, I don't know how to make heads or tails of it based on that teaser. Um, and then, you know... Even the other stuff that that Lucasfilm is doing, not not even necessarily within the universe of Star Wars, I'm super super excited about. So I'm I'm very hopeful and very excited um, to be a Disney Plus subscriber for for multiple reasons heading on into the future. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. And you know, I'm, I'll I'll piggyback off of what you said about the sequel trilogy and just say this: 
I had a lot of issues with The Last Jedi, particularly um, its portrayal of Luke Skywalker. I think there's a couple of unforgivable sins in there. But I also am willing to freely acknowledge that visually speaking, it's probably the best looking, the best directed of the sequel trilogy. It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie with some really incredible shots in it. Um, and, and I think... Uh, that that should be fully acknowledged. Whether you know you like the story or not, directing wise, it is probably one of the best looking Star Wars movies. Period. Uh, very impressive stuff. But yeah, I'm very optimistic for the future of Star Wars. Um, excited. There's obviously a um, a change somehow uh, in the air when it comes to how Disney's handling Star Wars. There seems to be. Uh, Maybe not a, a greater reverence, but maybe a greater understanding for what works in Star Wars and what doesn't work. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Um, Ahsoka Tano is by far one of the most uh, popular Star Wars characters, period. Especially ones that didn't originate in the uh, main movie series. And you know... Uh, the the Cassian Andor series looks really really good. I would actually argue that Rogue One is probably the best of the Disney era Star Wars movies. So seeing sort of the background of of Cassian Andor is really exciting for me as well. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 pretty excited about the whole situation. There's one thing though that I'm still waiting for Disney to figure out, and I think it's something that the fan base really wants, and that is. Luke Skywalker at his height. I think we completely missed a boat on that by wiping out the expanded universe. We now have the story of Luke becoming a Jedi in the original trilogy, and then Luke's death in the sequel trilogy. But nowhere in the middle do we have Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, at his best, going on adventures being a Jedi. And there has to be a way to tell some kind of story like that, be it through animation or, or something, recasting Luke, God forbid. I don't know. But I feel like the one thing that Disney really needs to figure out is how can they tell us some of the stories between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy? How can we see Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight? The one thing that I think a whole lot of fans want to see. And it's one of the reasons why many fans were upset with the last Jedi because of how it portrayed Luke. You know, if that's his end point, fine, but let's, let's see Luke at his best again. I think there's a, a series, a, an animated special. There's something there. Uh, I, I think would make the fan base extremely happy and, and opens up some interesting stories. And this ties in. I, I'm, I would love to see that. Um, I've heard reports, and this may tie into why they didn't even approach him for the the holiday special. Is is he is reportedly done with Luke Skywalker, and he is moving on to different endeavors. So, um, as much as I want to see that, he's he may take some coaxing on on that regard. But I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and I think the the biggest issue with the sequel trilogy, I feel, is a lack of cohesion. There is no clear direction of storyline i i think it was very much uh, a hackney job and just thrown together and if you can do some you know middle ground work and 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 showing luke um built up into this thing and and so many people list him as their favorite jedi and all of these things 
But for, for those of us, and I include myself in this group, that were not exposed to the expanded universe, it's, it's kind of lost on us. So being able to see that put to screen, um, I think would go a long way into tying that story together and making it kind of make sense. How did he arrive at this point? I need more backstory and I need, I need more context if I'm going to believe that. Yeah, absolutely. If there's anything that I wish uh, for, you know, the future of, of Star Wars, it's, it's just finding a way to give us more Luke and, and Luke, you know, at his best. Absolutely. And that's where we will tie up our discussion on the Star Wars holiday specials, the force ghosts of past, present and future. When we head back from this, our final break, we're going to hit you with two more patented nerd commendations. Welcome back, nerds, for our final segment, Nerd Commendations. We've got two more things that you should check out in the nerd world. Dave, you've got a Justice League nerd commendation. Why am I not surprised? Well, I'm a fan, what can I say? But this is unusual for me. I don't often uh, recommend things that have just recently hit the stands. And the last time I did, I was talking about crossover uh, over at Image Comics. Uh, And so this time... Uh, I would like to talk about Justice League Endless Winter number one, which was recently released. So this is the new crossover from DC Comics, and it won me over alone already with the people involved. Uh, the first issue was co-written by Andy Lanning and Ron Mars. Uh, I've always loved Mars's work, and particularly on Green Lantern and on Witchblade, a top cow. Pencils were handled by Howard freaking Porter, the penciler on Grant Morrison's legendary JLA run. So this book was sure to bring me along for the ride based on uh, the creative team alone. So basically, uh, an evil corporation, you know, is there any other kind at this point, is digging in the Arctic for leftovers uh, from Superman's fortress, hoping to harness the technology. And they accidentally unleash the Frost King. Uh, a character that is basically Elsa from Disney's Frozen Gone Bad, a 13th century cold-based villain. He plunges the world into the titular Endless Winter, kicks the Justice League's butt, and then disappears. Uh, There's a really great cliffhanger, a spoiler alert, at the end of the book, uh, where we see several notable uh, immortal uh, characters from DC Comics coming together as some kind of alliance, some kind of... uh, 13th century Justice League there, I say, which uh, brings up some really interesting uh, notions and ideas as the series continues. Look, this feels like good old-fashioned JLA stuff. It's simple, sure, but it's also really fun. Uh, It reads well. It looks gorgeous. It was just a really good time, Uh, and I can't wait to see where the story is going. Uh, I, I like the idea of having a new original villain. It's always fun when, uh, you know, creators try to create new villains. Uh, and I look forward to picking up the rest of the series. This one, uh, as a first issue, really hit all the right notes for me. Uh, it's not uh, overdone, weirdly bombastic. It doesn't, you know, pit hero versus hero like so many crossovers have in the past. It's just, here's the Justice League, here's a new villain, here's a crisis, go. And those are the kinds of stories that I like best when heroes get to be heroes, villains get to be villains, and we get an interesting scenario out of the situation. So Justice League Endless Winter number one, I really enjoyed it. Uh, 
Here's hoping that it keeps going uh, in the same direction and remains a strong title as it continues. Well, I'm hooked on on the art alone. Just looking at this, it's absolutely glorious. It is, you know, what it reminds me of, and and you said this as well when you were talking about the best kinds of crossovers is when heroes all team up to face off against villains. It reminds me a lot of you know even even the backdrops, even uh, all of the worlds that I'm seeing in the in the art depicted here. It reminds me of War of the Realms that I wanted to put um, into a film project and i think i think you read it did you you read war of the realms right by jason aaron yes i did and it was glorious one of my favorite crossovers ever yeah so i'm getting like the same type of vibes like it looks like they're in jotunheim battling frost giants um and then it looks like they're in muspelheim you know fighting fire demons like i'm i'm all for this and the art is glorious you know i've been dipping my toe into dc content here recently i bought the batman catwoman number one based on the cover alone i haven't read it yet but just that cover was so freaking gorgeous that i bought that so uh, i feel like I'm, i'm exploring strange new worlds um and and this is definitely one that i want to look into yeah it's it's definitely exciting um, i've had a lot of fun reading it and uh, there's actually a superman endless winter special that has created a bit of buzz uh online i have not checked out yet that i also want to see because well superman is still my absolute favorite comic book character so i'm quite interested to see what they did with that now, Chris, what is your nerd commendation? I feel like we, we are kind of going in an endless circle talking about things over and over again. Here we are again. Well, um, I, I've hinted at how much I enjoyed this project before on a previous episode on a news story, but I have completed the campaign of it and I want to give it its due diligence. And I know it hasn't sold well and a lot of people are harping on it, but I don't get it. Square Enix's The Avengers has been an absolute blast. I play it probably way too much. Um, The campaign, the story, as I said before, with with, uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, is absolutely delightful. She's completely sold me. Um, I really feel like a lot of the pushback may be from casual comic book fans or gamers that are upset that it doesn't have features that other games have. But as a comic book lover, um, this has like so many love letters to comics fans from the outfits. Like I get to have Hulk in the Joe fix it tuxedo when he's a hitman for the mob. So I can either have the Hulk running around in ripped elastic shorts with barefoot, or he's in a pinstripe mafia suit with the coolest dress shoes you've ever seen. You have all the iterations of Iron Man armor, including the one that I'm trying to save up for the Jonathan Hickman era Avengers, the black and gold. I love so much. Um, You've got a lot of different outfits for uh, Captain America, a lot of different disguise, you know, variation ones for Black Widow as like a secret agent. It looks like a lot of her disguises from the MCU, except they're much better than a blank baseball cap. Um, Kamala Khan has a lot of different cool ones. Like she's got a lot of different fangirl outfits because she's such a, a geek about all these superheroes. 
Um, and then she's got some homemade uh, uniforms that she that she crafted herself that you can unlock. Um, by far, my favorite uniforms are from my doppelganger, Thor himself, uh, the God of Thunder. Thor like comes into the game, into the campaign in jeans and a t-shirt wielding Mjolnir. So he looks just like an everyday kind of guy, but he's wielding Mjolnir. And it's just super cool to see like a different outfit. But then you get the best of both worlds because you can unlock all of this beautiful Asgardian armor. And like there's a marketplace where you can save up. The thing that I also love about this is where it's got that like pay to play pocket player thing where you can buy a bunch of credits um, you can also earn those by doing like in-game achievements. So I haven't spent any additional money other than my initial purchase. And I've unlocked some really expensive outfits with with the in-game credits just by, you know, working on achievements. I haven't put, had to put any more money down. And that's super cool to me. Um, the reason that I, I really put this over the top and put this on a nerd commendation is because they just released this week the up, its first major update with Kate Bishop Hawkeye. And I am absolutely head over heels in love with this character now from her quippy one-liners, um, her snarky attitude. Um, she goes toe to toe with Tony when it comes to wit and snarkiness. I absolutely love this character and I'm hooked. And so now I'm reading the comics also like the things that you collect the collectibles in this game to level up your character and give them bonus critical hit chance or critical damage or you know accuracy bonuses are actual comic books and you have to collect an entire series of comic books based on each character that is featured in the game and what better way to like you know include we talked about this in in like how to drive comic book sales in our second ever episode all those months ago is like when you go into the pause menu and you look at like their comics and collectibles it has the comic cover who the uh, writer was, who the artist was, when it was published, all these different you know things. What better way to tie in the actual comic books, the source material that it's based on? It's just really awesome. The campaign is well-written. Uh, the one-liners between the characters are super inspired. And you can tell that the writers were comic book lovers. I mean, like there's even today I was playing and there's a scene where they're just riding down an elevator. Now, I will say some of the gameplay is a little bit repetitive and the objectives are a little bit, you know, oh, I'm doing this again. But I don't care because it's fun. There's something just therapeutic about just hulking out and just smashing a bunch of robots. It's fun. Um, being able to fly through the sky and wield Mjolnir is therapeutic. Being Kamala Khan and, you know, stretching my arms out and mashing a bunch of bad guys is fun. Um, but, but even like the small minor details of, um, character based interactions based on who your team happens to be. Like, for example, I was riding down an elevator today and I had Captain America and Thor and Thor was talking about how he just left his, Mjolnir in the park next to Captain America's statue. And, and Captain America was like, well, aren't you worried about um, someone, you know, stealing it? He's like, none would be worthy. 
And he's like, are you sure? Nobody would be. And he's like, if there is one, he's with me in this elevator now. So like this kinship between Captain America and Thor, who've, you know, fought villains for, for years. It's just like a love letter to comic book people. And, um, you know, I, I understand people's frustration with the release. You know, it's an awkward release. You know, uh, we talked about this before with the next gen consoles coming right on the heels of its release. It's it's kind of a weird timing. Uh, it's also a pandemic, so people can't splurge $60 for a video game. Um, you know, but I've had a great time playing it. And here's another bonus tip. I bought um, Star Wars Battlefront 2, which was much maligned um, and, and hated on at the onset. But then they really had to backtrack and win people back over. So with the poor sales of this game, the ball is in Square Enix's court to release a bunch of content to win people back over. So that just means more bonus content that I get to enjoy on a game that I already love. You know, I'm increasingly tempted to pick this up, mostly for the single-player content. I still think the game uh, represents a huge missed opportunity with its focus on multiplayer instead of single-player content. An Avengers game focused on single-player, perhaps even with uh, an MCU connection, would have probably blown the lid off of game sales. Uh, The biggest draw is what you specifically said, Miss Marvel and Hawkeye Kate Bishop. I love those characters, and, and playing as them, I think, could probably be a blast. I'm not sure why Kate in the gameplay footage I looked at suddenly appears to have superpowers in the game, but sure, let's roll with it. I really actually hope that this thing ends up on Game Pass sooner rather than later. Uh, Given its uh, disappointing sales figures, I wouldn't be surprised if they would cut a deal with Microsoft to get a bunch of money to have this sucker on Game Pass, and then I'll definitely jump into it. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, single-player content-wise, it definitely looks interesting. Yeah, so I and I and I said this before. I play with nobody. I just you know play single player and you know have the time of my life. So I don't have to worry about any of that multiplayer nonsense. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. We hope that you are now in the holiday spirit. Be sure to go to Disney Plus and check out the Lego uh, Star Wars holiday special because it's just tons of fun. You're going to have a blast watching it. Thanks so much for your support of our show. Uh, be sure to engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at NerdByWord and on Facebook at the Nerd by Word, and individually on Twitter and Instagram at ThatNerdDave and at ThatNerdChris. And please don't forget to give us a rating uh, and a review on the podcast uh, platform of your choice. We are available all over the place, pretty much wherever podcasts are available, Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. If it's out there, we are on it. So please uh, give us a rating and review. We very much appreciate the support. uh, And thank you so much for tuning in. Absolutely. And you can also head to nerdbyword.com or hit us up on social media and we can gladly send you a Linktree link with all of those pages added on there. Uh, Be sure to come back with us next week as we dive deep, deep, deep into all of the Disney Investor Day reveals uh, and our thoughts on them. How how deep are we going, Chris? Uh, There's a multiverse situation, so I'd say pretty deep. Oh, wow. Well, that that sounds awesome. Let's go deep. (laughs) All right. But for now, stay well and stay nerdy. 
The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. <laughs>